I kind of love that the question of the day is music related because I'm a music teacher. So I'm like, yes, this is so exciting. So if you want to know my answer, I would listen to jazz for the rest of my life because I love jazz music. There's so many different ways that jazz music is presented. So if you wanted to know my answer, that's it. So my name is Anna. I am a music teacher, as I said, and I actually teach one of Taka's daughters. <laughs> so she is at my school. I teach music at Semwelly Academy in Santa Ana, and Lynn was in four of my classes last year. And so that's how I got invited here. Was Lynn was so excited that I preached at my church. She's like, you gotta preach at mine. And she's not here today, so <laughs> uh, she'll be listening to this later. But Lynn has been such a treasure to teach. And so it was really cool when I got invited here because Taka has actually spoken at my church, which I am repping today, New Life. And you guys heard from Matt, my pastor, how many weeks ago? The first Monday. The first Monday. Oh, hey, there, Sunday. Sunday? Sunday. Sunday. I was like, church on a Monday? Nice. <laughs> but no, so you guys heard from Matt, who is my pastor at New Life. I am on the worship team over at New Life. I'm a worshiper at heart, but I'm also very passionate about the word and teaching. So I got my degree at Biola University, so I have a minor in biblical studies. Yes. Oh, I thought rep. Woo. Oh, I should have worn my Biola hat. That would have been two reps in one. Okay. But I love the word of God, and I love to bring whatever God has put on my heart to people to hear because it's something I really treasure. So we are going to be diving into a word that the Lord gave me in 2020, way at the beginning of that year before I knew what was going to happen. The word he gave me was free indeed. And right before 2020 hit, I actually tattooed it on my arm <laughs> because God told me this is going to be really important in your life and you need to be able to see it wherever you go. So my first question to all of you is what comes to your mind when you hear the word freedom? What images get conjured up? What places, songs, people come to mind? I did a Google search. I just searched freedom. And a bunch of things came up that I thought were very interesting. So our first slide is going to show you one of the first images that pops up. This lovely, lovely animal was the number one thing that came up in my search. And I found a really funny meme, actually, that came after it. On a scale of one to America, how free are you tonight? So if you want to use that pickup line on anybody, you're welcome to. <laughs> but this is an image that came to mind a lot. A next image is one that some people think gives them more freedom than the other. These two are often pitted against each other as which one makes you feel more free. A lot of people put their trust in one or the other of these, or neither, as to what will give them the most freedom. The next image might be something that you think of, chains breaking. You might be really passionate about seeing freedom from human trafficking or freedom from drug addiction. That might be what comes to your mind when you think of freedom, is chains breaking, whether it is physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. Or you might think of this last one, freedom, William Wallace. That is one of the most common <laughs> movie quotes regarding freedom. Now, freedom in our world is understood in two ways. This is the dictionary definition. Go ahead, keep that up there. The dictionary definition of freedom, the first one is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And the second is the stage of not being imprisoned or enslaved. This is the modern, secular understanding of freedom. 
And in the United States, we see that eagle and the flag and all that. People think that that is the number one thing about freedom. But the thing about freedom is that we in the United States don't actually understand it very well. In fact, I would argue that most people in what they would consider free countries don't understand the biblical kingdom version of freedom. There's an organization called Freedom House that's run out of DC. Freedom House is founded on the core conviction that freedom flourishes in democratic nations where governments are accountable to their people. Our research and analysis frame the policy debate in the United States and abroad on the progress and decline of freedom. And this group, Freedom House, has studied all the different countries in the world and stacked them up on 13 different categories that tell us how free that country is. I want you to just guess where the United States lands on that list. Just think of a number. Out of all the countries in the world, are we in the top 10? We're not. Are we in the top 20? We're not. Are we in the top 30? Nope. We are 53rd on that list of the freest countries in the world. When I was looking into this, when I was looking at freedom, specifically in 2020 when the Lord led me into that, that actually really shocked me. I knew that we weren't in the top 10. I kind of guessed we'd maybe be at like 20. But when I saw we were 53rd, and I did that research recently, I did this study, I looked at Freedom House's research on us two months ago. I was actually shocked, and I realized how little I, as an American-born citizen, know about what true freedom is, even in the secular mindset. And I thought to myself, kingdom freedom cannot be contingent on that list. And I realized as I was walking through this in 2020, God kind of gave me a picture that a Christian in the United States and a Christian in a country that's at the bottom of the list, like Sudan, Somalia, or Afghanistan, are just as free in the kingdom of God. And I had to wrestle with that. Because we in the United States or in Western countries hold on to this idea of freedom really tightly. To the point that we've reached a divide in our own nation on what does it mean to be truly free. It divides families. It divides cities. It divides friends. So I think us as Christians need to remove ourselves from these other ideas of what we think freedom is, what we think freedom means, and attach ourselves to what God says freedom is. So that no matter where we are, no matter what happens in this nation or whatever nation God calls us to or calls us from, we can experience the true freedom of Christ that is not contingent on what happens in the world around us. This is what it means to be free indeed. And we're going to look at this a little bit more. If you have your Bibles or a phone Bible, I usually read from the CSB if you want to look at that in your phone Bible. But we're going to look at John 8, 30 through 36. And this is not on the slides, so we'll put that down for now. Um, but this in my Bible has truth and freedom as the super title. So I'm going to read this kind of chunky passage here from 30 through 36, and then we're going to go over it together. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free indeed. A lot of different translations put either will be free, really will be free, or free indeed. This kingdom freedom is something that is outside of the context of what we understand. The biblical understanding of freedom in John 8 hinges on three things. Truth, faith, and intimacy. As I was walking through freedom in 2020, January and February was like, yeah, freedom, yeah, free indeed, let's go. And then March hit, and I was like, what? <laughs> 2020 just came and went, nope. And I sat there with God and said, what am I supposed to do with this now? I don't feel very free sitting alone in my room figuring out what is going to happen. I lost half of my income because I was a voice teacher at the time and working part-time at a school. So all of my voice students were like, we're going to stay home. I was like, you should do that. Now what am I going to do? I said, Lord, I don't really feel like this word is for me right now. And of course, whenever you tell that to the Lord, he takes you to task. <laughs> he says, I got you. I will walk you through this. And I had to do a really deep dive into what truth meant. So he says, the truth will set you free. And the truth, talking about the son, specifically related to, sorry, next slide. My bad, tech team. There you go. So we have truth and faith. Truth in John 8, 30-36 is talking about the son who sets you free. We're not slaves in the house of God. We're actually connected to the son who lives in the household. And he's the one who sets us free. Truth can be found in the word of God. For John 1 says that he is the word. And when we abide in the word, as it says in John 15, we get to know the son. And through the son, we are set free. That means we have to draw near, which it says in Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says, now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There's something in this verse I didn't notice before when I started preparing this message. I'd always heard this verse in relation to faith when it was talking about without faith it's impossible to please God. That's usually where I stopped. I was like, okay, so if I don't have faith, I can't please him. And I got into this legalistic mindset of like, I got to have faith, got to have more faith, let's go. But there's an asterisk here, since the one who draws near. That faith comes out of drawing near to God. Drawing near to the truth, the Son, the one who has the power to set you free. That faith comes out of this knowing, which is why that third is intimacy. Truth, faith, and intimacy. There are these interlocking points on a triangle that just keeps going in the same direction. Truth, faith, and intimacy. Again, back to John 15, talking about abiding in his love and believing that he is, that he exists, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. There's an understanding that who he is and who he says he is match up. 
The reason that I talk about truth with freedom is that often what keeps us bound are lies. The reason that we don't feel free or we don't experience true kingdom freedom, regardless of what's going on in the world around us, is there is something we are believing about God or about ourselves that is not true. There is a lie that we've held on to. There's something we're repeating to ourselves over and over that is telling us something different than what is, than what is true in the word of God. This quote is pulled from a commentary on John 8, talking about the Son who sets you free, the truth setting you free. If you look at the Greek, you will discover this word free can mean to liberate or to exempt from liability. This means the verse could be read, whom the Son liberates or exempts from liability will really be liberated and exempted from liability. Because of this definition, when you consider this verse in its full context, there are two conclusions that I want you to consider. First, there are things Christ has freed you from, and then there are things that Christ has freed you to. So in talking about being freed from, there's a few things that God wants us to be freed from in this, in this life. Now, the first thing you might think of is sin, of course, we all want to be freed from that. <laughs> we look around at the world, it's on fire, we're like, mm, get me out of here, please. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. And we want to be freed from that. We want to be freed from the effects of sin, sinful behavior, how that creates division in people's hearts, how it creates division amongst ourselves and our families within even our own hearts. We want to be freed from that. All of that comes from the broken world around us. Now in Isaiah 61, it says that the Spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. So he came to free us from the bondage of sin and shame. That's the most obvious, right? And he did. When he died on the cross, you were already free from that. And unfortunately, we live in a broken world where we still experience the effects and we see it around us. And if any of you are big feelers like me, you can't watch the news <laughs> because you're like, if I watch one more of this, I'm going to cry all night. So I have to turn it off and not look at it because seeing the effects of sin and shame on this world breaks my heart. And I have to remind myself, I have to go back to the word and say, no, no, no. In Isaiah 61, he says, I came to bring freedom from those things. And that's when the Lord prompts me to pray for the things that I see. I still have to avoid the news, though. <laughs> Stay updated, don't worry. Uh, but for my own heart, I have to put that boundary there and say, Lord, I'm just going to pray about it. But he freed us from those things. We are no longer bound by sin. We no longer have the penalty of sin and death. And that is really good news. And that's the most obvious one that we know as Christians. We are freed from that penalty. We are freed from sin and the wages of sin, which is death. But we're also freed from different lies that get put in. Freedom in Christ means having true shalom, which that word shalom means a completeness, a wholeness. It means things as they ought to be. Now I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you. When I was younger, I was in an environment that was not safe. 
I grew up in a very violent home. I would come home kind of like this every day, just like, hey, what's coming? And I would have to sit and be in survival mode. And I experienced a lot of lies in this freedom from category that I had to become free from. And it took me about 20 years to feel fully free from those things. And one of those things that I am still continuously, because healing is a cycle, it is a circle where you start here, and you go like this, and it feels like you're going backwards, but you're actually going a little bit more forwards. When it feels like you're going backwards, you're actually launching into the next cycle of your healing and freedom, even though it feels like you're going backwards. And I've done that in this area for the last 20 years. And this is what I call the theology of worms. And I would like to give you an illustration of how this theology plays out. I'm a big Disney nerd. I worked at Disneyland for six years. I loved being there. I love Disney. And one of my favorite Disney movies of all time is Hercules. Any Hercules fans in the house? Yes. Did you know they're making a live action? I'm so excited. I can't wait to see who they cast as the muses. I want them to narrate my life. But Hercules has an interesting scene that I oddly identified with for a long time. And I would like to show you this scene now. We can get that video up here. Pain! Oh! And panic! Oh, reporting for duty! Fine, fine, fine. Just let me know the instant the fates arrive. Oh! They're here! Uh, what? The fates are here and you didn't tell me! Uh, we, we are worms! Worthless worms! Memo to me. Memo to me. Maim you after my meeting. Okay, that's the loop. So, I love that movie, I quote it all the time. But that image of them going, we are worms, worthless worms, that's sometimes how we approach God. There's this theology that I believed for years. I was raised in church, and I say that with some asterisks, because it was like we went to church, and then we went home, and my family just kind of did whatever. Um, so it wasn't, it was very, Cognitive dissonance, inconsistent. And I looked at the church and I went, how? <laughs> like, you are preaching one thing and then I go home and there's something else completely happening. And this theology that stuck into my brain was this theology that God is like Hades. If I make a mistake, he is going to turn around angry, shaming, and punishing. Reminder to me, maim you after my meeting. I will come back and I will punish you for this thing. And I would grovel at the ground like those pain and panic and say, I'm a worm, I'm nothing, I'm useless, I am worthless. Because I would go to church and hear about this God who was loving and then I would go home and have a completely different experience. And there was a theology in a church that I was a part of that reinforced that idea. It said, you are nothing without Christ. You are absolute dirt compared to anything else, and you need to pay for that with your actions. You need to serve. You need to do all of this stuff. And what I realized through the last 20 years of healing from that is that the Bible never actually says that. It says apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Not that you are nothing. In fact, the Bible says something very very different. And one of the things that God led me through in my healing process, I went to trauma therapy about 10 years ago, and it was the best decision I've ever made. 
And one of the things my counselor told me was Ephesians 2.10 calls me a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. And it's funny because in Biola, we have a class called Biblical Interpretation. You have to do this really big paper on one passage. Do you remember this? Remember this? Did you take that class? Oh, Vanguard. Okay, so there you go. Yeah. But biblical studies, they make you do this thing. You've probably done a paper like this where they make you take one verse and they, you just pull it apart. And you're doing all this stuff. And my professor, that year that I was going through this in trauma therapy, gave me that verse, Ephesians 2.10, to do. She had no clue. And I was like, Lord, what's going on? <laughs> he wanted to teach me something. He wanted to show me that his word called me valuable and worthy that I, as an inherent being, was not bad. I was born under sin. I was born into a world that had sin as the king, but I was made in the image of God, which meant when I needed to uncover who I was, I could find that underneath was gold. I was not a worm before the Lord. I didn't have to grovel at his throne. I didn't have to beg for his mercy because he had already given it to me through Jesus on the cross. It was something that I already had because even all the way back in Genesis 1, he said, I made man and woman, and it was very good. The original design, shalom means to bring things back to its original intent. And when Jesus came, he said, I came to have the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile that which was broken in the fall, which means who you are at your core is made in the image of God. And this theology of worms that I had believed was a lie. I believed that I was worthless, that I could do nothing about my intrinsic value because my intrinsic value was what was tarnished, not my behaviors, my actions, my tendencies. We are born under sin, not as sin. We are born created in the image of God. Psalm 139 says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. He, before we were even thought of, he knew us. He crafted us. God doesn't make junk. And I needed to be freed from that lie. And some of you in this room might need freedom from that lie as well. And there might be other lies in this category of from that you are believing about yourself, about the world, about God, that truth will set you free from. And that truth comes in the form of the word, which I love doing and treasure, but also in the words of friends who know you and love you and encourage you in the experiences that you might have with God through a song, through being in nature, through basking in his presence. It's not just read the Bible and suddenly you will be free. It's find intimacy with the Father and you will uncover those layers of freedom through learning more truth about yourself and about the one who created you. In my story, my deliverance started when I decided I was sick of it. I decided I didn't want to be bound with these ideas anymore. The pain of where I was was more than the pain it would be to stay there. Some of us have to hit that point of rock bottom 
to get to that being freed from. But I believe it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. <laughs> I believe that some of us can hear it, hear the word, hear the truth, and the truth will set you free. So I hope that today there's some of you who can recognize those areas that you need to be freed from. In addition to being freed from, we also are freed to. We are free to do things. We are free to live a certain way, to love a certain way. One of my favorite things about John 15, I, I studied that verse a ton in college while I was going through my healing process. John 15, in my old college Bible, it like opens there <laughs> because I was there so much. And it talks about how he gives us freedom to live abundantly, to live in a way that declares freedom to those around us. Living abundantly means that we live our life unbeholden to anyone's opinion except for God's. Our dictionary definition of freedom says we're free to do whatever we want whenever we want. That's not the freedom of the kingdom. The kingdom freedom says you are free to live abundantly in accordance to what God has designed for you. How do we figure that out? We have to ask him. We have to feel that freedom to come before him, release ourselves from this idea that we are not even worthy enough to go to his throne when he said, no, come in. <laughs> the throne room's free. It's open for you because I tore the veil. You can come in anytime you want. Come ask me. Come talk to me about what I have for you to live in the abundance of the Lord. And I'm not just talking about, you know, riches and wealth. That's not what abundance means in the Bible. It means living in a state of shalom, living in a state of freedom, knowing that we are freed from people's opinions because they're not the Lord. They might have some really great connections to the Lord. They might be able to give us some awesome truth from Scripture, but ultimately, people are not who we answer to. We answer to the God who made us, who is love. I, that's one of my favorite things about how God chooses to describe himself. When he talks about being love, he talks about it as he is that. He embodies love. So we're freed to live abundantly, we're freed to live in a way where we just ask him what to do and he will give us those next steps. But we're also free to love others. When you live in this area and you're under all of these lies, the only person you can think about is yourself. And you might still be serving people. When I was under that theology of worms and I was like, I'm worth this, I'm nothing. I'm just going to give all my love away and that'll be enough. I was loving people, but I was loving people with conditions. I was loving people out of a religious heart as if I love other people enough, God will forgive me. God might love me just a morsel of how much I'm giving to other people. But when you are free from those things, you are free to love your neighbor as yourself because you know you yourself are whole. You yourself are loved. And so when you look at someone else, it's like you're looking into a mirror and you get to say, you get to have that too. You get to have that love that I experience every day. And it is my joy to give it to you. I'm not obligated to give it to you. You've done nothing to deserve it from me. But I'm just going to give it to you because I have an abundance. I don't need to search for it. I don't need to find it in me to love you. And I know that's much easier said than done. <laughs> because I know one of the first slides I showed maybe triggered some of you. <laughs> You're like, oh, that elephant, or oh, that donkey. I don't think so. 
And there's those feelings that get stirred up in us because there's so much strife stirred up in the world that's under sin. But we as Christians get to live free from that in order to love the person next to us in such a radical, reckless way that they have no choice but to say, where do you get all that? (laughs) How do you have such an abundance of love to give to someone who is screaming at you, cussing you out, calling you names, saying things about you that you know are not true? How can you do that when you're freed from and freed to? Now, one of the things that I do a lot, and all of my professors at Biola could tell you this, I'm a question asker. (laughs) I will raise my hand and be like, so why? (laughs) Tell me why. Tell me why you would free me, God. What is the purpose behind this? And I asked him in 2020 when I was looking through all of this and when I was preparing this message, I was like, Lord, what is the reason? Is it because you have something for us to do? Is it because we have to, you know, be free in order to X, Y, Z? And the answer is actually found on our next slide in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom. Sorry, my bad. I think it's the one right before that. Galatians 5.1. Yes. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and so not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. His reasoning for freeing us is just to do it. For freedom. For the sake of freedom, we are set free. There is nothing that he is expecting of you in order to be free. Freedom is not something you strive for. It is not something you earn. It is something that was already accomplished when Jesus gave up his own will and said, I will do whatever you want me to, Father, for these whom I love. That was it. And that bothered me for a bit. I was like, but there's got to be another reason. Because <laughs> I need to know why. And he kept drawing me back here and said, no, it is for freedom. And that is it. For the express purpose that I want my children to be free. And the next question I had to ask is, okay, how do we do this then? We need to be practical here. <laughs> or so I thought. And God kind of told me, he's like, Anna, it's a lot more simple than you are trying to make it. I tend to overcomplicate things with my questions. But he said, how do you find it? You find me. One of the things that I was taught a couple years ago at a really wonderful church through a really awesome discipleship program was about the pattern of beliefs. How do beliefs get formed? Beliefs are something that are in our core. There's something we act out of, whether we know that we believe it or not. So when I was over here in the theology of worms, I acted out of that belief even if I said I was free. The Lord loves me. I'm in abundance. Because my true deep belief was still here. We act out of our deepest held beliefs, and those beliefs often start with a battle in our mind. What you believe is often a result of what you repeat to yourself inwardly over and over and over again. My thought pattern when I was under that was I am worthless, I am nothing, I am not enough. And that would cycle through my brain over and over again no matter what. I had to intentionally, through 
lots of help from amazing therapists, and through spending time with the Lord, I was able to change that narrative to where now I look at myself and I go, you're a masterpiece. Look at that Ephesians 2.10 girl right there. Mm. Because I am made in the image of God. And that is now the narrative that comes over and over again in my mind and in my thoughts. And it was through a lot of different things. And for each of you, that path to freedom might look different. My path to freedom required a lot for me in the sense that I had to decide if I was going to let that narrative continue or I was going to replace it with the truth. I have a letter board in my room right now that says, you will be ridiculously free. And it's in a place where I can see it every morning. And I repeat it to myself. I say, I will be ridiculously free. And I don't want this to sound like, this can go kind of in an interesting direction, but all truth in this world belongs to God. There's this thing of like mantras and positive affirmations, and those are nice, and they work because they're based off of biblical principles. The Bible says the power of life and death is held in the tongue. You will eat its fruit. So what we say about ourselves and what we say into the world has a reaction. But people stop at the positive affirmations and just say, oh, I am, I'm good today, and they just say that to themselves, but they don't let themselves marinate in that truth in the word. And so that word gets down into your heart and the word that slices between spirit and flesh gets to work on your heart and dig those roots deep so that that becomes a belief and not just a mantra that you say to yourself. I started putting scripture on my mirrors. I started taking dry erase and writing all over my mirrors. I started putting sticky notes everywhere. My roommates were like, what are these? <laughs> I was like, trust me, just leave them there. You'll love it. And I started to see something different in myself when I started to put a different narrative into my head. Because your mind, your thoughts become your words. Your words are out of your deepest held beliefs, and you act out of whatever is the predominant narrative in your mind. The other how is intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep coming back to this point. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is in 2 Corinthians 3.17. The Spirit of the Lord is where we find our freedom because the Spirit of God is what opens us up to intimacy with the Father. When Jesus ascended, he said, I'm going to leave someone better who's going to help you. And the disciples were like, no, but you're here. <laughs> this is better, right? And I often think that, I'm like, if Jesus was right here, I think I'd be much better off. <laughs> He's like, no. It is better that I go because who I will send will be even better than just one me walking around. The Holy Spirit dwells within each person who calls Jesus Lord. And spending time with him, spending time with the Holy Spirit, and allowing him to transform your heart is the best way to find freedom. And some of us avoid that because we are still under the theology of the worm that we are not good enough to be in the presence of God. And so we avoid it. We run away. We say, I don't want to be intimate with God because he might see all my dirty laundry. Clue, he already does. <laughs> he already knows. And once you get over that hump of he already knows and still loves you, there is beautiful freedom to be found in his presence. The presence of God brings us a new understanding. In 2020, I wrote a journal 
about freedom. And this is what I'll close on. And worship team, if you would like to come up. This was one of my final entries. I said, 2020 has been a meditation on freedom and what true freedom really is. I had to shed so many ideas of what I thought freedom was and was not. It's not control. It's not earthly freedom that says I can do whatever, whenever. It's not anything I could truly achieve on my own. It's not something I put on or labor for. It's something I already have and seek to uncover by pursuing one thing, the spirit of the living God. My conclusion is simple, yet will take a lifetime to fully uncover and walk in. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How do you know where the spirit is? First, he lives inside you. He dwells within via our invitation. So first, he must be invited because the Holy Spirit does not dwell where he is not explicitly wanted. His dwelling place already thrives within, but we cover it with so many fears and expectations of ourselves and so many other voices that his voice can become drowned out. Uncover and invite his spirit to dwell above the noise and deep within your heart. Second, learning how to hear him. This takes practice. It takes failing. <laughs> it takes intentionality and it takes community. It also takes releasing and letting go and fully surrendering to him and what he would say, being open and willing to hear. And each one of you can hear the voice of God. It might not be audible. It might just be, oh, that wasn't me. Hmm. That's a thought I've never had before. It might be a word of a friend. It might be a song. It might even be a Disney movie. You never know. Third is obedience. Once you hear, you must do. Walking in freedom is an act of obedience. It's a walk that is full of life and goodness because you're following the one who knows you inside and out and has nothing but goodness and mercy that is assigned to follow you all the days of your life. A quiet yes to whatever you hear him say. Obedience isn't striving. It's simply yes to whatever he asks. Fourth and last, be okay with the unknown. True freedom is messy and wild. It's an opening to the mystery of heaven, an invitation for holy to dwell within flesh and dirt. True freedom is when you lay yourself down at Jesus' feet and say, you got this, and allow his spirit to transform you beyond your wildest dreams. Dream big, ask greatly, and seek his freedom by seeking his presence. This is freedom, where the spirit of the Lord dwells. Resolve to settle for nothing less than true freedom. The last slide up here is one I want to leave with you. Or second to last, actually. I want you to really understand this. Freedom is not granted or striven for. It is discovered. It's exciting. It's an adventure. Because God wants to show you who you are and who he made you to be. The more you enjoy intimacy with the Father, the more you uncover your true identity as a chosen, loved child of God at the foot of the throne, and the more layers of freedom you will uncover. And this last slide is what I really want you to be left with as we close today. Intimacy with God uncovers the freedom that is already yours through Christ. Freedom is not something that we have to earn. The kingdom of God offers freedom to every single one of us through one thing, intimacy with God. That truth, faith, and intimacy 
It all circles around relationship and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We become truly free by laying ourselves bare at his throne and saying, God, I just want to know more of you. I want to know more of what's true. I want you. There's a song. They've got a wonderful set at the end here, but there's a song that was on my heart this morning. And it's it's just got this beautiful idea about intimacy with the Father because when Jesus says Father, he calls him Abba. I have a nephew who's three years old and he goes, he just says, Daddy? Auntie? And he says it so sweetly and innocently. And that word Abba is that Aramaic Daddy. <laughs> it's like a child unto the Father. And this song is called Abba. And it's this simple phrase. It's just, Abba, I belong to you. And that's it. Abba, I belong to you. There's an extended version of that song and they kind of go spontaneously talking about what it means to be intimate with the Father. It says, you are closer than the skin on my bones. You're closer than the wind in my lungs. He wants to be that near. And when we draw near to him, like it says in Hebrews 11, when you draw near to him, he gives you faith, he gives you truth, and he sets you free. Before the amazing worship team <laughs> leads us in these last two songs, I want us to just sing that together. Abba, I belong to you. So if you would stand with me <laughs> as we sing this. Like I said, I, I lead worship, so this is part of <laughs> what I do. But I just want us to sing that over and over. If there's anything that you need to be freed from, I want you to sing this with that intention of God free me from those theologies, those ideologies that I've accepted that are not yours. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, Father, thank you so much for these incredible masterpieces sitting and standing among us. 
thank you for each person who is here made in your image, made perfect by you. I ask that you help us to walk in new levels of freedom from faith to faith, glory to glory with each passing day, that the more time that we spend in your presence, the more time we spend receiving your love, the more we begin to look like you, that we will be ridiculously free, that each person here can walk out of this room today and know that freedom is available to them and not the freedom that is cheaply offered by the world we live in, but a freedom that is true, everlasting, and something we did not earn of ourselves, but was paid for already. Something that you give to us freely, that we don't have to strive for it. You've just granted it to us by your obedience, by you on the cross declaring it is finished. There is nothing that we need to do except be with you. Thank you for your love that is reckless, that frees us to love with abandon, that frees us to live abundantly, to live beholden to only one voice that is yours, that we are freed from the lies we are freed from sin and shame. We are freed from those things that we have falsely believed ensnare us. You've set us free, and Lord, where your spirit is, there is freedom, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Lord, I declare your freedom in this room. I declare that your goodness will follow us all the days of our life that we would receive that freedom and seek to uncover it, that we would invite us on this adventure and that we would receive the invitation into the unknown to discover the freedom that you've already given us, that we would uncover layer after layer and discover who we truly are, who you intended for us to be so that we are freed to love fully and live in abundance, abundance of shalom, of wholeness. And if there's anyone in here, Lord, who's struggling to believe that they are loved and cherished and valuable, I ask that you would meet them there, that you would show them where those lies came from, that you would show them that it wasn't you. You were not the originator of those thoughts. You were not the originator of that lie that you'd speak truth to their heart so that their faith would build and they would come back to intimacy with you and continue that cycle, truth, faith, and intimacy with the Father, that we would leave here today knowing that, Abba, we belong to you. Bless this worship. Let this worship be a sweet incense to you as we close out. Thank you for every person in this room. I know that you love them so much. <laughs> Help us to be ridiculously free. In the name of Jesus, declare these things. Amen. One of, one of my favorite preachers, not one, the favorite preacher of mine is Judah Smith. I was just talking to them in the backstage. And one of the great things that I love when the orders were here, Mike and Tiff, is that 
we have such a great relationship where we could give each other crap. Like, no, dude, that's not what the Bible says. And no, dude, that's not what Jesus says. And dude, get out of here. You're being dumb. Don't think that way. Like, it's a cool relationship because it goes both ways. And he could put me on check. It's like I could put him on check. And it's one of the things that I really miss about them not being here. It's just having rock. And we were just sitting at a coffee shop for like eight hours just talking about Jesus. And during the conversation, it's crazy the way you ended because as soon as you were speaking, God was reminding me of a passage that I just want to leave you with, leave with you today. And I promise I won't take long. Uh, it is in Matthew chapter 13. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples about him being, being betrayed. And it says this. Jesus became visibly upset. And then he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. Now listen to this because I didn't catch this until just recently. The disciples looked around one another wondering who, who on earth he was talking about. Then one of the disciples, the one Jesus loved, and in this case talking about John, was reclining against him. Now listen to what the Bible says. His, I, I, uh, hold on, I lost my spot here. Hold on, sorry, am I, oh, here it is. His head, <laughs> then the one that Jesus loved dearly was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder. Now picture this. These are a group of men. Jesus is upset. And what is John doing? Just leaning on. Just leaning on him. And then as, as you read on, Peter, who we all know, looks at John, like literally looks at him and goes, hey, ask him who is going to betray him. And Jesus whispers in John's ear. I always was under the impression that Jesus told the whole table. That Jesus told the whole table that the person who dipped the bread was going to betray him. But Jesus told one person, John, the one that was closest to him, leaning his head on Jesus' shoulder. When people, when I talk about people, hey, 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 Rafa, what's the difference between this year and last year for those who know me intimately? And you, like I've said before, and I'm not going to rehash it here today, I was really mad at God, and I didn't want to do anything with God. The one thing that changed is that I've gone back to go lean on Jesus' shoulder. I'm reminded of who I am. I'm reminded of where I'm called. It's easy to have difficult conversations with my wife when I have been reclining on Jesus' shoulder. Can I encourage you today as you guys go home and get ready for the rest of the week? You know, because we also talked about this and we always say, look, if you got five minutes, pray. You got five minutes. But if you really want to have a true relationship with God where you learn to live in freedom, can we just agree that five minutes is not going to cut it? And I'm not here to shame you or, or make you feel bad or whatever. You got five minutes is what you have. But if you really want a transformative life, it starts with us learning to spend time in this awkwardness at times. I love these moments. My wife knows this. 
because I leave for this moment. Like these are the moments I remember when I when we were dating, and I would just we were just grabbing, we would kind of just sway with one, or just dancing in the presence of the Lord. And I kid you not, so often I've heard God whisper, "Yo, this is the one." Like, don't mess this up. This is it. And can I encourage you as we do one more worship song before we dismiss? Just learn to spend time here. This is where lives are changed. Like, this is where marriages are restored. Like, this is when I come to God and I'm visibly up there like Jesus and I just let him have it. And it's all good. So before we dismiss today, three things. One, if you feel like you just need to stay here and worship a little bit more, if you literally just want to marinate in the presence of God and learn to lean on Jesus, this space is for you. And the elders are here to just pray with you, let you be, because sometimes I just want to be let alone, and it's okay. And if you got to go, y'all got to go. Have a great time. Uh, two things, offering, free will. Uh, there's, we make it super easy here for you to give to the Lord. Number two, connection cards. Uh, if you want to get connected with us, want to know more, great. But I'm just going to pray, get out of the way. And if you want prayer or need to come spend time with Jesus, please be like John, who got whispered about something juicy. It was juicy. Like juicy stuff. <laughs> Lord, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the reminder of who we are in you, Lord. Lord, I pray, Father, that is for those who love, for those, for those who leave, I pray that you would just touch them, speak to them, remind them that you love them. Lord, I pray, Father, for Anna. Thank you, Lord, for bringing her in with a fresh word. One of the great things about Mic Drop, Lord, is that we get to hear your voice through different people. And thank you, Lord, for using her today. But, Father, I pray that as we continue to just stay here with you, that you, Father, would just love, that you would teach us, what it means to be in relationship with you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.